Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Eliza Kelly, and I am so excited to introduce today's guest, a psychologist, Dr. Lori Watley. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having me as your guest today. Thank you for being on the show. You are a cancer son. We don't have, I haven't interviewed a lot of cancer sons before, so this is a real treat for me. Oh, wow. Great. I love cancers. Um, we are we are almost at the time of this recording. We are almost in cancer season. Cancer is the first water sign of the zodiac, so it is the first time that we are understanding uh, how to work with our emotions and our intuition. That's really what the the vibe of Cancerian energy is all about. Is how do we you know how do we start to process things on an emotional level? So. I have a feeling that that probably corresponds with your work. So if you wouldn't mind telling us about yourself um, so we could learn about what it means to be a psychologist oh. in, in in what you study. Okay, great. Um, that's really interesting, yeah, that, that the two correspond so closely. What I actually enjoy doing most in the world, uh, processing emotions and feelings with other people. Um, and um, understanding human behavior. It's very interesting how that ties in with the cancer sign. So thanks for sharing that with me. I um, I am a um, psychologist. I have a, also a degree as a marriage and family therapist. And um, yeah, that's what we do a lot in the office, process, process emotions and feelings. You, your work specifically addresses the influence of technology uh, as well. So I'm curious to know what that means. Actually, when I was getting my doctorate, I um, obviously needed a doctoral project. And every day in my office with my clients from all walks of life, teenagers, adults, couples, the subject of digital devices was coming up. And I found it so interesting and realized I'm going to need to learn more about this. So I decided to do my doctoral project on it, mainly because I was in search of, of, of a subject. And the more research I did, Elisa, the more I became so interested in the subject, I realized how we are so affected by our technology and how our moods and our, our connections are affected by it. So I've written two books on it. Um, the book uh, Connected and Engaged, the last book I wrote, um, just for us to understand how digital distractions um, work in our lives and so that we can reconnect better with the world around us. I wrote this book and um, have just loved sharing it with the world. I feel like it's vital information. So how how do they influence our lives? Um, I think we don't realize um, how often we use our devices. And let me say, I love technology because like it, it allows me to be here talking to you today. And, and I see clients from all over the world and I would not be able to see them if I, you know, if we didn't have technology. So I love it, but I've learned how to use it in my favor and I use it through balance so that, um, you know, I, I believe some of the problems that we have when we have too much technology in our lives is um, distraction, disconnection, our focus is affected, and our sleep. And of course, sleep is so essential for us um, for many reasons. 
So I, when I was in college, um, I had a friend who was so brilliant and he wrote his thesis. He was a uh, philosophy and cognitive science double major. And he wrote his thesis on, and this was in, he was a little bit older than me. So I think that he, he was graduating maybe 2008 or 2009. Um, and he wrote his thesis on uh, basically how the mind lives outside of us now. Um, our mind and consciousness is stored within our devices. And this was like really on the precipice of this is like maybe there were smartphones. They just came out. Um, So this was still within like this is before we were even using, you know, Facebook on our phones. You know, this is like a million years ago in technology land. Yes, because that's spot on right now. Um, yeah. You know, so, wow. Yes, he is brilliant. <laughs> yes, he is very brilliant. I wonder what he's doing now. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this, I don't want to say your name, but <laughs> love to hear from you and what you're doing. Um, but uh, I, you know, I thought at that time in 2008 or 2009, um, it, one of the things that was most like evocative to me about that, especially because I was, I think, 18 um, when I went to his thesis presentation on it and I was just like a drunk college girl who would lose my phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he would he said was like, you know, when you lose your device or when your hard drive fails, it's like the loss that you experience is, um, it's unquantifiable because it is, it's not just data. It's not just contacts. It's, you know, we don't store phone numbers in our minds anymore. Maybe young listeners will never remember having memorized phone numbers. Um, But that was something that we used to do. Um, There was a lot more information that we would have sort of within ourselves as vessels. And now so much of what we do and how we recall things is embedded into these technology phones and computers and tablets, um, which makes our dependency on them pretty extreme, right? Mm. Because we need them in order to be fully realized versions of ourselves because that's part of where we have things live, right? Right. I think it's kind of scary to be so dependent on something outside of us like that, that, you know, what happens, as you said, when you put it down and you, uh, well, I know what happens. I left mine at home one day. And um, it was a very neat research project for me. I left it at home while I ran to the grocery and I was gone for an hour and felt completely lost without it. I really did. And I felt the phantom vibrations and everything that people talk about. And I realized, wow, maybe I'm too dependent on that. That was kind of like the beginning of me giving myself some tech breaks during the day. So how, you know, how can we have take sort of more ownership of our consciousness and our autonomy? When you talk about taking breaks, what does that look like? Well, for me, and I think it's an individual decision, I notice that if I start my morning with meditation or mindfulness or um, maybe go for a walk or just sit outside under a tree and have my coffee outside in nature, I, my day tends to unfold a lot more peacefully as opposed to if I roll over, look at my phone, start scrolling, 
you know, the news is not really positive. Um, I've got five texts of things people need from me. It just feels overwhelming before my feet even hit the floor. So I don't look at my um, devices for an hour on a good day, two hours after I've gotten up and before I start my day. Um, I um, check all my emails in the morning and I don't look at them again until evening. And people just know that if they send me an email during the day, they're not going to get a response from me. I've kind of trained people to understand that. Um, I have a notification that pops up and says, hey, I don't answer emails until again tonight after five. So just so you know. Um, also at night, you know, screens, we know that, that the blue light from screens affects our, our sleep. And um, at night when we sleep is when our brain heals from the anxiety of the day. So I don't look at any screens, TV, no screens at all, for an hour before I go to bed. And so I don't have that extra stimulation going on in my brain that interrupts my sleep patterns. So can you, what what exactly is this blue light? I've, sometimes I get, and I'm sure that uh, thanks to Amazon constantly listening to everything we do, I'm going to, following this conversation, start to get advertisements again for blue light glasses, and maybe I will buy one with this time. Yeah. <laughs> but can you tell us about what that is even? Well, kind of the eye is the window into our brain in a sense. And this is in the most simplistic way to explain this. You know, and, and, and when I'm looking at my computer all day long, first of all, it weakens that that window, but it also, the excessive blue light, um, it, it causes us to not produce the melatonin, which is the sleep chemical in our, in our brain. And, and so our body thinks it's daylight, right? And, and it doesn't shut down for the night. It just keeps going and we're ready to go to sleep, but our, our body has been fooled it thinks it's still daylight. So I, I love those glasses. I have many clients that have used them and found them to be very helpful. So maybe this time when I start to get uh, <laughs> those those advertisements trailing yes. everywhere I go on the internet, I'll, I'll do it. Or, you know, you can even order like a little shield that goes like, just like a film over your screen. Uh, if you don't want to wear the glasses, it's, it's helpful too. And you can get those at CVS or Target or probably Amazon. I I feel really strongly and, you know, occasionally I'll go on like diatribes about this where I start posting about it a lot. And I this is from sort of a spiritual perspective, but I am a huge advocate of using the mute uh, feature on Instagram. I think that it's one of the most responsible things that I at least, you know, having been now a Facebook properties user for over a decade. I think it's one of the most responsible things Sweet. that the Facebook properties have offered, yeah. um, which is the ability to, you know, continue to follow someone so you don't have to deal with the social implications of like, you know, cutting someone off, um, but no longer seeing or interacting with their content that they create. This is so major um, to me because, you know, again, on the spiritual level, it's what th our reality is a reflection of our of what we experience and if we are constantly being receiving and having stimuli that evokes jealousy or anxiety or this feeling of like you know just 
not having enough uh, inadequacy, that's, that doesn't just begin and end when you look at that person's post. Absolutely. It, it changes your entire perception of the day, uh, Mm -hmm. the week, your month, your life. So being super strict with yourself about how you, what kind of content you consume is so, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, it's psychic wellness is what I like to call it. I, I so agree with you, Elisa. I really do. We have a choice every day of what we're going to let in, as you said, to our spirit, to our soul. And there are so many things that we see online that we will never unsee. And I really, I, I definitely monitor everything um, that that I allow in. And um, it's not that I want to have like a Pollyanna idea of life. I'm very aware of everything that's going on in the world always, but I'm not constantly re-traumatizing myself with it every time I pick up and, and scroll through Instagram. Because as you said, that mute is very helpful. And really, it's a gift to ourself um, rather than carry all of that negative baggage, because for some of it, it's very heavy. And rather than carry that, um, we all carry it differently. And so I agree with you. That's a, that's a great practice. So in terms of, um, like how to interact, you know, and be a conscious and proactive and aware person, which is also, I, I guess, another component of psychic wellness is also to, know what's going on in the world and understand on a socio-political level um, how, you know, what's happening and not just tune out. How do you, how is, do you manage something like that? You know what I do? This is kind of funny, but my mother is just amazing. She sits in front of the television 24 seven with her remote. She watches all the news channels and I tell her, Hey mom, if there's anything important that I really need to know, Will you let me know at the end of the day? Um, You know, I want to, I do want to know what's going on, but I really want to also save my energy for for my clients because I, 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 it's my responsibility to come to them and, and offer a space that's peaceful. And, you know, I do believe garbage in, garbage out. If I'm constantly watching darkness, it's very hard for me to be in a peaceful place when I'm doing my job. And um, that's one of the most important things to me, to be able to offer that place of peace. So that works for me. I think um, I absolutely don't think that we should be ignorant to what is going on. But we also don't need to um, believe everything that we see. And we also don't need to be rewounded by it constantly all day, every day, because it just takes our energy away. And then we aren't able to be an advocate for the things that we want to be an advocate for. Do you, so do you think that there are like certain ways to receive information that are safer than others? Um, I think, it, again, it depends on the individual because we all learn differently. Some people learn from hearing, some from seeing, and some from, from doing or writing. So I think um, for some people, picking up and reading the messages is very, you know, intrusive if it's just one bad 
message after another and for others seeing it. I'm particularly sensitive to things that I see. And how did you learn that? Well, I probably learned I probably learned it in school, you know, when I was getting my doctorate, but I also learned it because I knew how I felt. I, I always tell people, they say, how, how do you know, how do I know if I'm using my phone too much or social media too much? And I say, you know, there, the, the only right or wrong is your right or wrong. And so if you, if you realize that you don't feel good after you've been scrolling for a while, maybe try not scrolling or maybe try uh, muting as you recommended. I think that's a great way to do it. You know, being more mindful of what you're looking at. But notice what you're feeling after you do something. That's one of the best ways to know. Yeah, I I think that, um, I, and I'm not sure if, I wonder if this is something that you've experienced either in your research or uh, empirically with your clients, um, that like hate following mm-hmm. is a very uh, frequent and very toxic and problematic thing. Um, this, I sort of differentiate this from following somebody that you, you know, I, I think that again, the sort of the result I think kind of remains the same as like mute or unfollow, mm-hmm. but it's one thing to be following a friend or a peer who, you know, maybe is always posting about new professional opportunities or you, they just bought a new house and you're like, oh my God, I want one. Yeah. Uh, and then it's another thing to follow someone distinctly because they get under your skin. Mm. And um, this is something that I I know people do. Mm. And mm. I personally think that it's the reason that someone like Trump is able to become president because we become sort of obsessed with hating someone. We become obsessed with following them and expecting them to just say or do something that we really get annoyed Mm -hmm. by. And then that is such a powerful emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, there's so much that gets released with that. Uh, Um, Good point. That is a great point, Elisa. Um, Yeah, I I could totally see where where you're going with that. And I think there again, maybe, maybe if we carry a lot of anger inside of us, maybe we're looking for ways to, um, or, or maybe we're looking for ways to get that, that endorphin high. Right. I think it, I feel like it is a high, like I feel like it becomes addictive because I know that on a micro level, there are some uh, spiritual, other spiritual practitioners and, you know, I followed them so that I know what's going on in the community. Mm-hmm. And in the past couple of months, you know, as the world has changed so dramatically, I just cannot, uh, you know, sign off on the conspiracy theories. So, but before I unfollowed and before I muted, I noticed myself, you know, when I would find, when I would see a post or mm-hmm. I would get to their story section as I swiped the other way mm-hmm. um and i'd be like "Ooh, i wonder what mm. fucking bullshit this person's serving up today yeah. like i can't wait to see this oh yeah, yeah. this stupid stupid stuff yeah. and like then i i finally caught myself and i was like what am i doing like i don't this does i this makes me angry mm. i don't agree with it mm. uh on a moral level i don't think i'm learning anything mm. i this just pisses me off yeah but Ha- like 
So I had to sort of be like, you know, you're better than this, like turn the shit off. But there was, it was like watching reality TV, Mm. you know, like it's, it's like you love the drama you love Mm. internally that it creates. Yes. Um, Yes. That makes so much sense. I so get what you're saying. And yeah, I I love that you, you, you use reality TV as an example because they're, you know, think about scary movies or whatnot that we go to. We go to it because for some of us who, who, you know, have low cortisol levels and we're kind of like this, we want to be like this. So we go to a scary movie and it gets all that adrenaline going and we feel a little bit high. And, you know, we have to do um, things a little differently than some other people. But we really, it makes perfect sense. And we have to notice, like, really, is this a healthy thing I'm doing to get that? feeling because it ends up not probably you know like a crash and burn for us like okay so can you talk to us about the uh the biological aspects of this what like when you mentioned the cortisol levels like uh for our listeners who might not be even familiar with what cortisol is would you would you share uh that information well um without going you could get technical. Te- we can yeah. we can handle well, no, it. <laughs> I, I think it's boring to be too technical, you know. Like, uh, uh, but so so the thing is, is that if we if we let's say we grew up, and this is the this is one theory. Okay, it isn't. Uh, this is just a theory I'm sharing with you. Um, and I, and there are a lot of theories out there. So I'm I'm not a person to be like this is the only theory, but this is one. And it is is that if we grew up in a home with a lot of chaos and a lot of, you know, anger and, and, and negativity and hate, we might begin to feel comfortable with that. That's our comfort zone. Because imagine, we don't know any different. So we go out into the world and things are pretty calm in our life because we're not living in that house anymore. And they might even feel kind of boring for us. Calm might feel boring. And we might look for ways to actually, um, you know, get that the cortisol, which is like adrenaline, anxiety. Okay, think of think of those three together as a, as opposed to dopamine, which is more peaceful, um, more calming. Uh, so so does that make sense? That yeah, we might absolutely. Do, we, we might. I'm not saying everyone does, but they might. Um, they might turn on some sort of reality TV and, and not even realize that, that their body keeps the score and it reminds them of what it was like at their home, right? And they're recreating that. And although it feels, it feels comfortable, but it's really probably, you know, maybe not healthy. We learn a lot of things as children in order to survive that as adults, we don't need anymore and we can let go of. Yeah, I, I am currently... Reading the body keeps the oh, score. Oh, that's a great book. Do you like it? It's blowing my fucking mind. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it's good. I, I, it's I, I feel like it's a, it's it actually is in of its in and of itself a cycle of sort of re learning mm-hmm. and re experiencing your own trauma. Yes. This is not the first time that I have brought it up on yes. the show. It is also a very long book. Don't read at night yeah. before you go to bed. I always tell my clients, don't read it at night before you go to bed. It, Th- that particular book or any book? That book. That, don't yeah. You, it had, can you imagine how it might keep you up? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I feel like the book itself is rewiring my brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in a it's, in a good way, I hope. Yeah, I mean, in in a in a way that I think um, 
you know, something that I'm particularly struck by uh, in reading that book, which is written by a psych a psychiatrist, yeah, actually, and then speaking with you, who is a psychologist. So, you know, as an astrologer, mm -hmm. with without um, having any formal clinical, you know, educational training on psychology or psychiatry, the amount of astrology, you know, astrology is really filtered through psychology mm -hmm. um, at this moment in mm -hmm. time. That was that's a very, you know, it's a 20th century interpretation of astrology. Uh, astrology did not used to be like that. It was very predictive and fatalistic, which, you know, we astrologers can still play with and some astrologers emphasize more than others. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I think the majority of my clients and the majority of the way that I use my practice is sort of doing a deep dive into who somebody is yeah. and the archetypes. Young was a huge astrologer. I so, love Carl Jung. I love him. Yeah. So his work with um, the archetypes and um, and thinking about, you know, even the way that the archetypes play out in, you know, Joseph Campbell's work mm -hmm. of talking about the hero's journey and mythology and our personal mythology. That's all of the of how astrologer, modern astrologers of this era um, filter and metabolize the information of the chart. So what I have found really interesting in in speaking with different psychologists and reading this this work by a psychiatrist is how much is represented and how much is covered within the symbolism of astrology, mm -hmm. because we really have the the different planets and the different the the way that the planets and the zodiac signs and the angles and the placements in terms of houses wait all of that um layers mm -hmm. is is a, almost you know a one to one of some of these principles that are i i guess you know uh taught within the more traditional mm -hmm. psychology and psychiatry programs right. and within those schools. Obviously, you know, sometimes people ask like, actually, no one ever really asked this. Sometimes people ask like, oh, is astrology therapy? And then I immediately get super defensive and imposter syndrome-y. And I'm like, no, not at all. I am not a therapist. I'm not licensed in any way. And I think that that is, you know, I get, I, I never want somebody to think that the work that one an astrologer can do is the work that a therapist can do. They are totally different. I have been actively in therapy for almost 10 years and uh it is not the same as and as me studying astrology mm -hmm. or being an astrologer. Right. But but the archetypes and what one can learn I think is um they definitely are linked and mm -hmm. there is a beautiful relationship that uh can is associated with these different types of internal work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, how often I would say, I guess a follow-up question that I have for you on that is like, how much do you think um, one can do work on themselves without working with a professional? Um, where do you think that kind of begins and ends? Oh, you know, I think that there are so many good books out there. Um, I, I mean, I don't have any clients that I don't recommend books to because I want to expose them to many ways of learning and podcasts like your podcast, 
wonderful ways to learn and to grow. Um, those are just two of, of, to me that, you know, are really, really good paths on your journey. It's, it's pretty amazing to have such a, to be in this moment and to have so many resources, um, to have such a well of knowledge that we can explore, um, often for free. Yeah. But I guess to answer my own question, I do think that guy, you know, being sort of using professionals, uh, as almost like bumpers in a bowling Mm -hmm. alley Mm -hmm. are very important because, with, with so much knowledge is so much power. And then also you want to make sure that you're moving in the right direction yes. with it too. Yes. Um, Cause there's also a lot of misinformation Absolutely. that exists. I still agree with you. And I always tell my clients, Hey, you know, I think there's different people um, on, on each leg of our journey that walk with us uh, on our journey. And I like to walk with my clients and, and walk next to them and be with them. And then, when, when it's time for them to grow some more, maybe I can point them in the direction of, of another person to walk with them. So I don't think there's any one way for us to learn and grow. I think we do it, as you mentioned earlier, just from living our life. And then um, the, the ways that I feel like, you know, the, the, the teacher comes to us so often when we least expect it, when there's that thing that we need to grow. Right. Yes. Uh, I personal question. How do you know whether a, if you're working with a therapist, how do you know if it's a good fit? Oh, that is such a good question, Elisa. And to me, that is the most important element of therapy. And, and many researchers say this too. A lot of research facts this. If, if we don't join, then I am not the one for you. And if you're not feeling it with me, then heavens, you would not want to, you know, put your, all your stuff out there for me to hold. That would not feel safe. And that could be traumatic. As a matter of fact, you must feel comfortable with whoever you're working with in any capacity. Um, I think, and, and don't you kind of feel like, you know, Don't you know in spirit, in your soul, like when you join with somebody that you're comfortable with, do you notice that? I I mean, I do, but I think that it's different with a therapist. I think that when um, you, I think that, you know, it's when you go into your first session with a therapist, I think that you have already, even though it's not, you know, obviously technically it's like a trial. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that you already sort of feel like, okay, I've made a commitment. I'm coming in. I'm sharing. This is who I'm going to work with. I think that we don't um, – I, I think that it's not dating. You know, yeah. I think that we come into it sort of already assuming that that is going to be the right fit and we aren't shopping around. Right. Um, and I know a lot, myself included, I've worked with people um, – I've spent many months working with someone who I – didn't really feel like it was a good fit, nothing personal to them, but just wasn't the right match. Right. But, you know, it almost feels like you, when you go step into that office that like you, here you go, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I also know a lot of people who have tried working with therapists and who, you know, did not, did not have a good experience and then sort of 
you know, said, I forget it. I'm not doing this. Mm. It's not for me, yeah. which is then really problematic mm. because absolutely isn't a good fit. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not about therapy. It's just a one-to-one. Right. Right. Yeah. How, so how can you really shop for a therapist, date a therapist? I, I think it is kind of like sorting when we're sorting the laundry, you know, colors, whites, darks over here. Um, and, and we, and we should maybe call them. Well, obviously there's so much information online. So check them out online. And then if that is all feeling pretty good, then maybe ask them, Hey, can I call and have a, have a 10 minute phone conversation with you? Because I don't know any therapist that would not be willing to do that. Um, most that I know are willing because it, it, you know, if it's not a good fit, then it's, it's going to be a waste of everybody's time. And so we want, we want, I know I want it to be a good fit for you. And so I want you to call me and ask me questions. I always begin my sessions with what kind of questions do you have for me? Like, I'm going to ask you a hundred thousand questions, but, and you know what, go ahead and ask me all the questions you can think of, because I think it's important that you know this person that you're sharing your most intimate secrets with and um, feel comfortable with them. How Do you feel like, um, does your approach change from person to person? Well, I think it does. That's a really good question. And, and I really think it does. Um, I don't, you know, I have people call me and say, hey, do you do cognitive behavioral therapy? Can you do that with me? And I'm like, sure, I'll do that with you. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I think that, that, you know, there's a lot of different techniques that we can use. And the more I get to know you, the more I'll know which one I think might be a good fit. And so I might integrate, if that's okay with you. I'd like to kind of integrate a few. And I ask them first. I, you know, it's it's their experience. I want to be sure that we do it their way. So definitely, I do believe that we have to. I'm not big on like cookie cutter, you know, like let's just do this with every single one. I'm, that that that's just isn't the way I do it. But. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, do you work with, and this is kind of interesting to me because you had mentioned the eyes as the window into the brain. The Greeks thought that the eyes were, or the Romans thought the eyes were the window into the soul, which is why in Roman statues, the eyes are always super, super big on, um, the different busts. Yes. Um, do you do EMDR work at all? I do not. And you know, it's good that you brought that up because that is a specialty and you have to be, I think it is a wonderful therapy. And whenever I have clients that I feel will benefit from it, um, I will recommend someone to them. So that's a very good question to do. You need to, if you want EMDR, you need to be sure you're with someone who specializes in that. And that's, you know, all they do and, and, and how many years have they done it and how many times have they done it? And you want them to be really good. So EMDR is very powerful it is. and it's almost, it's a little scary mm-hmm. how powerful it is. At least for mm-hmm. me, uh, the, it was so intense mm-hmm. that I, I felt very grateful that I had worked with somebody who, uh, I felt like was a safe person. I'm not sure how, um, I'm not sure if I, you know, if I feel like this is somebody who's a real seasoned mm-hmm. expert mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that going into it. And I feel like I had I was lucky that it was I felt safe yeah. because it is a 
real mindfuck oh, of an experience. It is so powerful. I I have a, a girlfriend that I walk with, and after she's had, you know, her her EMDR session, it, it's amazing, just the, you know, the the power that yeah. she experiences. Yes, and I think that it's uh. I guess, I mean, if I, if we were to sort of like neatly tie it all up again, it's like there are so many different methods. There are mm-hmm. so many different techniques. Um, there's not one size fits all. Um, but just sort of taking an active role and knowing what you're doing at any given moment, whether you're scrolling or diving into an EMDR session, I think is really powerful and, and important to remember because we are extremely um, malleable, Mm. you know, we are very influenced by things. And if we're being haphazard with either being too careless with our wellness, Mm. or we're being we're like sort of mistreating Mm. our wellness, we might end up creating even more damage. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% on that. I often, um, you know, I, whenever, uh, whenever I work with a new client, Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll say like, oh, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, this is 100% not going to be scary. And the reason it's 100% never not going to be scary is because I make a choice for it to 100% never not be scary. I see things in people's charts that I don't say to them. Right. Because I also, you know, I am very present and I really listen Mm. in my sessions. And if I can tell that somebody isn't ready for something, I don't mention it. Because there's no reason for me to bring up something mm-hmm. and then just be like, okay, goodbye. Yeah. And then just think that they can, you know, resume normal life yeah. or that that's going to improve their life. Mm-hmm. It, if it's not actually something that they are ready and have the infrastructure to receive, then I feel it's irresponsible to wow. bring something up. Yeah, that that is a very um, responsible way for you to practice. It really is. And, and it's the same in my practice. You know, I have to know where people are and and I have to be able to join with them to understand where they are. So I know how to lead them or excuse me, how to walk with them on that journey. Um, I really I like the way you said that, that that is is a great way to practice for for all of us. Yes, I I think that that's uh, sort of a good rule of thumb for practitioners, but also just, you know, fellow interpersonally and then, uh, you know, intrapersonally too, like we can't expect to be ready for everything at any moment of the time ever, you know, like little, little baby steps Mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. Um, we can't, we have to, I know like life feels like can feel really, really like it moves in an instant. Um, and it can also feel like it takes a long time, but when it comes to, doing work on ourselves, we just, we need to sort of approach the, the, the longness mm. of it and take our time mm-hmm. and be patient and slow and kind and like, like a lazy river. Yes, so true. <laughs> you know, we do know through research, um, to your point, Eliza, that change and growth happen in small steps. You know, when, when I try to say, I'm not going to put I'm not going to have any more French fries ever again in my life. That's just too drastic. It, it doesn't ever stick. We have to change. Maybe I say I'm not going to have any today and then maybe not tomorrow. And then, it, 
we have to make small changes and also take in information in, in small blips because it can be overwhelming, as you said, and it can rewound us. Which then comes full circle to keep, you know, uh, mindfulness within mm. our digital space as well. Absolutely. So um, where can we find you? How can we connect with you? Um, where should where should we pick up your book? Thank you for asking that. Um, I um, have a website, uh, com. My book, Connected and Engaged, is um, on there and you can... Um, or you can buy it on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Nobles, you know, several, several different avenues, but I appreciate you asking about it. And also you can um, connect with me on there. There's um, some free uh, assessments that you can take to kind of measure your digital device usage. If you're wondering, it's free. Um, so on my website, uh, if you want to have questions about it, you can email me. I'm always glad to answer your emails. Or if you, you know, want to talk to me more in depth, or want me to come work in your business um, or or speak, I, I can do that too. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. This has been great. I enjoyed talking to you. You too.